Welcome back to the Visionary Life Podcast. If you're new here, hi, I'm Kelsey, and I am the founder of Visionary Life. In this community, we chat about peak health, inspired living, and all things entrepreneurship. Every day, I strive to live out my own most visionary life while guiding others to do the same. So at this point, you may be wondering what a visionary is. As a visionary, you likely live a life a little bit differently or are ready to make some shifts in your life that will lead you to your dreams. Visionaries are creative, driven, and energetic, and we're living a life full of want-tos and not have-tos. You know when you have the opportunity to reconnect with old friends or former colleagues and you're able to pick up exactly where you left off without question of how much time has passed, the conversation flows, you feel joy when speaking to them and catching up, and you leave that person or those people feeling better than when you arrived. That's how I feel every time I see Emma Andrews and Lindsay Walker from Pineapple Collective, this week's Visionary Life guests. You're going to love listening to this conversation between the three of us that covers everything from their excitement to be working in the cannabis space, what it's like to open a communications agency, and how they manage their workload when their business is spread from coast to coast. But first, I did want to announce that I have created a brand new website for our podcast, and so you can check it out to learn more about the podcast, to suggest a guest for the show, and going forward, I will start to post all the episodes over at www.visionarylifeschool.com. So that's visionarylifeschool.com. So back to the episode, these ladies are up to some really incredible things right now, both personally and professionally, and there's no doubt in my mind that their journeys will inspire you to think bigger about what's possible in your lifetime. Visionaries Emma and Lindsay are the founders of a boutique communications agency called Pineapple Collective. The two of them came from backgrounds in education, sales, and marketing within the natural health industry, and after years working for other top health brands, they decided to step out on their own, combine over 10 years of experience, and launch their collective. Pineapple Collective is an agency unlike the others. The experience is premium. They care. They're knowledgeable. They're experienced. And they think outside of the box and use their past experiences and visions for the future to work with their clients. Some of the Pineapple Collective services include content marketing, brand storytelling, which they're really good at, product innovation, package design, and nutrition communications, and a lot more. This interview is a true inspiration if you've ever wanted to explore how your passions and your business can beautifully flow together. We talk about how they launched a modern communications agency, the importance of getting your foot in the door when beginning a career in any industry, how to sell through education, the types of content you should create for your target customers, the difference between an influencer and a thought leader, their favorite tools and resources to use as entrepreneurs, and a lot of other great topics. In addition, for anyone looking to create freebies or downloadable eBooks for your business, or anyone interested in natural health trends, 
definitely go sign up for their free 2018 health and wellness trend guide. This is so beautiful to look at and is inspiring for anyone wanting to create a resource for their business, but also it's packed with awesome content. I look forward to getting their yearly trend guide and every time it drops in my inbox, I am floored with how amazing it is. You will not be disappointed. You can follow Pineapple Collective on Instagram at thinkpineapples or check them out at pineapplecollective.ca. And as always, make sure you subscribe to the Visionary Life Podcast. We're finally available on Google Play. So tell your friends with non-Apple phones and please share the episode if you enjoy it. Hi, Emma and Lindsay. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, Kels. So not only am I so excited to share your personal and professional stories with our community of visionary listeners, but selfishly, I'm also so glad to see you both again. It's been a while. So to give some context to the listeners, um, I've worked with you both separately in past lives at Vega with Emma and at a previous role with Loblaws. We did some collaborations Mm -hmm. with you, Lindsay. So it's funny how things come full circle. Um, And on top of that, I was able to support some projects at Pineapple Collective a couple years ago. So it's wonderful to have you both on the show. Thank you for being here. Feels like family. It does. (laughs) I love it. Even though it's been probably 10 months since I've seen you both. It doesn't feel like that long. Too long. Um, But not everyone listening to the show has had the same opportunity to get to know you both, so I'd love to dive right in and learn about your backgrounds before chatting all things Pineapple Collective. So maybe let's start with Lindsay. Could you tell us a bit about your career background, so maybe the industries you were a part of and what got you into the natural health space? For sure. So I feel like I've only ever lived in the natural health space. Um, So I... I started my career at Genuine Health. I was actually an intern doing, I was doing my master's in human health and nutritional sciences and part of that program is an internship and I was lucky enough to intern at Genuine Health which then they kept me on which then as I kind of moved through um, the ranks there I used to joke that I worked in every department but finance like I was <laughs> um, So I did sales, I did uh, new product development, I did some marketing and then uh, rounded it out in education. So it was really great because you got to see you know what um, was needed on the content and education side in store Um, but then you got to understand what it took to make a product and then how to tie that up all in a nice bow to actually make it move off the shelves and sell it within marketing so they all really built off each other and gave me a really unique experience in this industry so it's been like 10 years Looking back, I'm sure you're grateful (laughs) to have been part of every piece of the company because now owning your own business, you probably do have a hand in everything, right? Now I I got the finance piece down. Yeah, that's true. You made that part. I tried to avoid it. (laughs) I tried, but it... You saved the best for last. I I really did. Awesome. So Emma, maybe you can also tell us a little bit about your background, what industries you were part of, what types of jobs you worked in the last 10 years, and what got you into this space. Yeah. I actually, I always knew I wanted to work in education, so I was seeking out training and facilitation roles. So I worked for the Vancouver Organizing Committee for the Winter Games, I worked for the Red Cross, but it never really was the context that I wanted to be training and educating on. Uh, So I went back to school to study nutrition and really found my passion there. Um, The first job I got out of nutrition school was actually at a retailer in Vancouver. I met the Vega rep and I was obsessed with Vega at the time and so I just said whatever I can do to get my foot in the door 
Um, and it turned out that was as a product demo rep for the brand. And sure enough, my first demo, I was paired up with another employee from Vega who helped me get my foot in the door for an interview. So it really was a good testament to just, you know, making connections and really pushing to just, just get your foot in the door. And I can't advocate that enough because thankfully I landed a role at Vega and the rest it feels like is history because it was a really wild ride for five years being similar to Lindsay in a lot of different roles and really getting to wear a lot of hats, everything from product development, just like Lindsay, to education and building a, a, a world-class education program at Vega. So kind of like you said, Kelsey, like every road leads to where I am now and looking back, it all makes sense. But sometimes when you're in it, you're like just grinding and hoping that that opportunity comes your way and mm -hmm. with perseverance, it always does. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really grateful for all the steps. And it's funny that I, I still do education. So that vein has been there the whole time, but mm -hmm. yeah, layering in the passion for nutrition and natural health is really the catalyst. Awesome. Yeah. And I love that you stress, get your foot in the door. That's exactly my experience with a lot of my jobs, but also at Vega was just starting as a demo rep and, you know, show that you can be good at any job that you do and you're willing mm -hmm. to take on whatever it takes. And when that role comes available, they're going to think of you first because, you know, you're top of mind and you've already kind of shown your capacity. So that's I really cool. Think just to tackle on that, I think we underestimate sometimes the importance of customer service. And I think what sometimes we have this inhibition to be in frontline roles when we're trying to advance our career really professionally, but not to underestimate the importance of having those consumer touch points. So being a demo rep and being the frontline at shows and events, and mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's a really good place to just exhibit that, that level of service excellence. It makes you understand your customer, even mm -hmm. if that's not your end goal. I find it just, that's what I found at least, like sales was not my forte, not where I saw my career going, but be connected to the customer. Yeah. So important. Understand what their pain points are. And I think if you, you know, whether you want to further yourself in sales with higher leadership roles or like move into something like marketing or product development, you have to understand mm -hmm. pain points and, and what drives the consumer to make a purchase or what um, limits them to make a purchase. So mm -hmm. super important to have that. Yeah. And that definitely ties into kind of where I want to head next with particularly you, Emma, um, understanding the customer and their pain points and all that really on the back end within the company, it's about educating them on what your brand or product or service does. And so when I met you, you were actually spearheading the education program at Vega. And so I know this is such a, um, I would say maybe five years ago, five years ago under talked about kind of pillar of a company, like what is education? Why is it important? Why would we invest in it? Um, I do feel like you yourself and then within Vega, we're kind of leaders in spearheading that. So I'm wondering, could you describe the role, what it encompassed, and really the impact that education had on the growth of the company? Yeah, totally. It's funny, I, I didn't realize the impact it was going to have until reflecting back as well. So I think, again, it's just that reinforcement of keep putting one foot in front of the other, and all of a sudden you realize the impact those consecutive steps are having. So it started really small with just simply replying to customer inquiries. That was honestly how the whole education program began was just really elevating those day-to-day -day interactions. And it started with um, consumer inquiries and emails and phone calls that extended into hosting webinars online. That extended to then going into in-person trainings, not only where I was based in Vancouver, but all around North America and really starting to win on small trainings and events with retailers allowed us to get bigger and bigger opportunities to the point where we were leading national trainings for um, national accounts with hundreds of store level managers and executives in our audience. So 
incrementally increased in scale over time as far as what we did outwardly for Vega. But similarly, I think internal, it was a big effort to create education for the staff. Mm. And I think that really set apart a lot of the team members at Vega was having a really authentic and deep level of product knowledge. So as you'll probably recall, we got really fun in our product trainings and did a lot of interactive gamification elements. And that hands-on learning process, I think, is really what started to set us apart because it was intrinsic to our internal staff and our onboarding and product knowledge. But then that spread across to our customers and our consumers and Mm -hmm. became really what Vega was known for was this really engaging, motivational, experiential style of learning. Um, So it was both, yeah, I think piloting an education approach, but then also just incrementally expanding your reach um, and level of opportunities with retailers and customers and yeah, it was quite the journey. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And very inspiring, too. Um, I think a lot of companies now look to Vega, kind of the model that they set out and um, are looking to kind of mimic that. But there are a lot of business owners who listen to the podcast and maybe aspiring entrepreneurs. So is education something that should be a key pillar of all brands and all businesses? A hundred percent. I think, too, don't think about education as a disparate part of your marketing mix. It is embedded in every single element of your marketing mix. So whether it's social media, whether it's your content marketing, um, whether it's simply your your tone and voice when you're interacting um, verbally and just face to face with customers, like there's education touch points throughout all elements of your business, and it's a tricky one from a pragmatic standpoint for a business to measure sometimes the return mm-hmm. that investing in education has on your business. So you also have to look at metrics like are the relationships with your customers deepening? Are you getting more engagement out of your audience? Those are good indicators that your education is working. So think outside the box when you try and measure the success of investing more time and energy in education, but also think about it throughout every part of your marketing. Mm -hmm. Good advice. And so what are some simple ways that someone listening could maybe begin planning out their own education strategy for their current business? Totally. I would segment it. So looking at your internal employees, this is everybody from a demo rep to someone in your finance department, literally anyone at your brand that could be a face for your company. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if you work with subcontractors, consider them an extension to your brand. So maybe you simply have a bookkeeper but you never know when that bookkeeper could speak about your brand for you Mm -hmm. Um, so look at your internal personnel that are associated with your company or your brand Um, look at any stores or retailers that you work with so if you do have a product um, that you're trying to sell um, if there's any online partners that you work with or brick and mortar partners that you work with how do you engage and educate them and then your last audience would be um, your audience itself, so the public, um, your target audience, if you will, the end consumer of your product or your service. So making sure that you have something identified for each of those three segments gives you a really holistic starting point. Um, you might also choose to go deeper on one of those audiences depending on where your brand is at. So if you're a very new brand, I would really encourage winning your retailers and your internal audiences to get those true advocates working as hard as possible for you and then start to support your customer get the foundation in place don't uh, oversimplify that part um, because I think it's really crucial but keep dancing between those three buckets because you can't uh, ignore any one of them but you might find one area is worthwhile to invest deeper in very cool yeah I think that's it's such good advice because if you can get like every employee in the company as a brand educator essentially Mm -hmm. that's naturally going to dissipate out into the retailers that you have a chance to work with and then again onto the public so i mean make your brand evangelist not just 
the people consuming your product, but the people who work for you as well. I think um, a good example of this is when we worked at Vega Kels, it was you know one of the, the most notable top workplaces in Canada for women and then as a company on whole. And I think that speaks to the culture of enthusiasm across the board and how we engage in educated people across the board. You just felt that sense of connection and ownership. And that be, might be like years down the road for um, some folks listening here, but have that vision in mind that culture can really shape um, the positive press and PR that you get, but also the level of engagement out of your uh, your team. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I feel too, it ties a little bit into content, but just making sure that everyone's saying the same message. It just, again, whether it, maybe it's not directly, maybe it's just turning a customer into an advocate or whether, whether it is a retail partner, you get everyone rowing in the mm-hmm. same direction. So it just really helps move you along faster, I think, and help to exponentially grow that business, even if you can't measure it right yeah. then and there. Yeah. It's just... Efficiencies. If you're a yeah. small business, you need to take the wins where you can. So. Yeah, good one. Consistencies over time will amplify, right? If everyone's saying the same message day after day, eventually it's going to like be so ingrained in your mind. Mm-hmm. So it's important to get everyone on board. So I think that's a good segue, Lindsay. I'd love to chat with you about more content marketing. Mm-hmm. So obviously, education is such a key piece. Content marketing, I know, is something you're passionate about. And uh, back when I met you, you actually had a blog called Lindsay Loves Food. I love that name. I still love food. (laughs) Yeah, do you no longer like it because you don't run the blog? Still love it. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about this chapter of your life. Um, What did you love about blogging and content creation when you started this? Mm, I think when I started the blog, it was really, I just needed a creative outlet, something push myself forward in my career and just really challenge me um, and then I both like to joke uh, our hashtag is ABL always be learning so I think it was just like I said that combination of pushing myself learning something new a new skill so I learned not only to be a better writer but I also learned photography as well um, and then just challenge myself I'm naturally I think a very kind of shy person um, so it just pushed me out into the world and I will say like for the first probably year on the blog I didn't even let anyone know I had it so it was kind of this safe space to Mm -hmm. to play around with but yeah coming I guess back to the skills you start to learn to again pay attention to who's who's your customer and in that case it was my blog readers you start to see what content is resonating you start to see um, what distribution channels are working for you Um, I think again you can't be everywhere all at once so you have to start to be mindful and pay attention to what is working for you because blogging burnout is very very easy so you can't be everywhere you have to tailor your message you have to do the things that are actually driving traffic back to to your site so I think it really just taught me a lot more about the digital space more about writing for your audience and then obviously some creative skills as well like design and photography so it's Mm -hmm. kind of I was really running a lot of things at that particular moment in time, which was exciting. Yeah, but it sounds like it was so much so a passion project and like you said, a creative outlet. So when you actually started the blog, did you ever have visions of like trying to monetize it or make it into a big business or was it simply just an expression of things you loved? I think when I first started, it was an expression, but I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur or work for myself, I think. Um, And I remember like I said, starting the blog and then I went on vacation and having a little bit of space away from work really fueled my creative mindset and my drive to want to do it more. And so I, I felt like every time I had space away from it, it just drove me more to try to make it work for me and, and be a business. So I actually left Genuine Health um, four years ago this week, as a mm, fun fact. Crazy. Um, thank you. <laughs> so I actually was blogging full time 
for almost two years before we started Pineapple Collective and, you know, trying to make the blog work, trying to make that freelance life work because I really do love writing, do love the creation process, do love photography. Um, so that was kind of my first, you know, foray into entrepreneur life. I thought that was going to be it. I did have ads on the blog. I did try to um, solidify uh, ambassador or influencer partnerships. Um, but a lot of publishing budgets were getting cut. So it was yeah. not, you can't pay the bills on Instagram likes, unfortunately. <laughs> so, uh, and that was what a lot of brands were offering. Like, we'll share your content and mm-hmm. doesn't pay the rent. Yeah. So the blogging world and even social media, it's all about you know, creating fresh content and providing free value for the most part, mm-hmm. and sometimes asking for a sale, obviously. Um, could you explain a little bit about why content marketing, even though it's a lot of effort to get it out there, but why is it a key pillar for a brand or a business? I think it's tied so closely to education. It lets you control the conversation. Um, I think it really lets you capture your consumer where they're at. No one likes to be sold to. So if you have someone who's never heard of your brand or never heard of your product and you lean right in with a, hey, $9.99, hot <laughs> offer, like mm-hmm. it's going to push people away. I think a lot of people, you know, when they're first starting to investigate something, they might not know they even have a problem or they might not know where the solution is. They might not be looking to purchase right then and there, but you can help guide that conversation. And as people move down the funnel, that's where you can start to build trust, you can build a relationship. Um, you can educate them on why you're different than a competitor or why you're you know, a better option or whatever that might be. Um, and then making that sale becomes a natural extension versus somebody feeling like they're being kind of backed into a corner or um, you know, having that snake oil mm-hmm. feel to it. So I just think it's a really natural way to, to guide your people through the customer journey. Mm-hmm. And so what are some actionable steps that a new business owner or maybe someone who's never made a content calendar or worked in content marketing what would be some steps they could take to begin creating more consistent content or just to get their content strategy organized? So many things. I think, first and foremost, creating good content takes time. And anything you do is a reflection of your brand. So if you're you know, a small business and you're not someone who's a natural writer and you're forcing yourself to create a blog and it's not well written and it's you know maybe all over the place and you can't afford an editor or the graphics to go behind that that it's going to create a negative brand impression to someone it's going to lose the professionalism so i think you have to be really honest with yourself about where you are with respect to time and what kind of effort you can put behind things because content can take many shapes and forms like we're doing a podcast right now that you know talking is something you know, both of you are really great talkers. I'm not naturally a better talker. It takes a lot of prep work for me to feel like I'm comfortable, but writing is really good for me. So I think play where you are, and that could be social media, um, even um, brochures or your web copy. Those can have element, elements of content marketing in it. So I think just be really honest with what you can do. Um, and then once you kind of know how you can distribute your content, or what you're going to play in, like I said, a blog, whether it's just retail or brochures or like in-store collateral or social media, think about the different pain points that your customers will have. So, you know, if someone has a problem and they don't know they have a problem that you would be the solution to, you know, what are some things they might be Googling or researching or um, searching out to kind of start to find solutions or to try to identify their problem? And then um, think about the next steps, you know, once they've identified the the problem or that you might be a solution 
what moves them for further down the, that pipeline? You know, why should they choose you over a competitor? Um, so just really mapping out the stages that someone would come, come across your brand or your product or your service and then identify some content that would help support that and help, help them choose you. I mean, think about that all the time. Ultimately, you want to be the winner. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound too competitive, but you do. You no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. again, that's not to be snake oily. Just be authentic. And I guess the last thing too, once you kind of think about all of those things, like you know what content you can adequately put out there um, with confidence and that reflects your brand. Um, you know the types of content. Think about things like your voice, your tone, the look, the aesthetic. Because even if somebody doesn't maybe read a blog post, if that's the choice. Um, of content that you decide to put out there, even if they read a few lines, what words or what images might they they glean from that um, to really cap- capture the essence of your brand? So I think make sure everything is totally cohesive. Mm-hmm. So many good points good there. Tips. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest takeaways from all that you just said is that content doesn't have to be like sitting down and writing a blog mm-hmm. post, which a lot of people think. Oh, I have to like you know, it can take so many forms. You have to find a way that resonates with you as a business owner and what your strengths are, especially if you can't hire someone to do it all for you, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's the podcast, whether it's a blog, social, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many avenues that you can take, and where are your customers hanging out? Content shouldn't stress you out. Like, if it feels like it's too much, you're yeah. not going to stick with it. So, yeah, that's why I said be really honest with it. And people can feel that when, like, I always chat with some people who are like, oh, I hate Instagram, da da da. And I truly believe that if that's their tone as they're writing posts, they're mm-hmm. not getting any leads mm-hmm. from it, right? Like, they're coming across as it's so forced and so perfect. And, you know, if it feels stressful for them, I'm sure their readers are also feeling that, you know, stress in their message and that they don't really. Um, feel it's a great avenue. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's shift gears a little bit. Um, You know, knowing you both for as many years as I have, you've always been, in my eyes, both of you, industry experts. Like, you show up at these trade shows. You're confident in your beliefs and and in your strengths. And um, I think many people who know you would also agree. Like, you, you make an effort to stay current and like you already said in this podcast your hashtag is always be learning so Mm -hmm. I just I want to dive in on this because I think it's so so important um, to obviously not just as a business owner to sit at home in your office 365 days a year because that's not how you create community and obviously grow your business so um, maybe let's first start with industry trends so Emma for as long as I've known you you've always been interested in trends Um, whether that's in the natural health industry or I've seen you share lots of products that you love and what's coming up. So when did this trend hunting obsession begin? (laughs) I think I've always been kind of nerdy about unique foods. I think that infatuation has always been there because I love culture and travel. So there's always been that innate spirit of adventure, I would say. But I think ever since my first Expo West trade show, which is the largest natural products trade show Um, hosted down in the U.S. It's in Anaheim, California. And I went, I think my first one was, I think we counted this year, like Mm -hmm. I've gone seven years maybe. It's been a while. Mm -hmm. So the first one, I just, my mind was blown wide open. So it's it's essentially the best natural food store you can imagine on steroids. (laughs) There's 70,000 people go to this show. It's like the Coachella of the natural product space. So my mind was blown open and especially we see in America a lot more product innovation. So I just, I, I was infatuated with the possibilities for food products and ingredients and thankfully I think that paired well with an innovation role at Vegas. So I was really thirsty to kind of see what was next and kudos to Charles Chang who was the president of Vega for really 
embedding a culture of innovation where you're not just copy, not just looking at what the competition is doing and incrementally improving, mm -hmm. really going into the white space and doing things that nobody's done before. And so I think trend hunting gives you that eye where you're always looking at what's next because you want to see what's the most progressive thing now and how could that evolve maybe in another few years. And then I think, um, yeah, pulling from cultural inspirations as well too. So to your point, get out of your get out of your office, go on vacation, like see the world, and you will switch up your routine. Yeah, do something that will ignite that trend hunting passion. Yeah, I love that. And are there any trends that you're currently pondering or learning about, or things that are top of mind that you're fascinated with? Yeah, I think I mean coming off of what we were just doing this past mm -hmm. weekend, we're um, avidly getting more and more involved in the cannabis space, particularly in Canada as we approach legalization. Both Lindsay and I are extremely passionate about therapeutic applications for cannabis. And so we're just really starting to watch a lot of the independent brands that are emerging, both in mm -hmm. Canada and the U.S., particularly around CBD, um, which is a non-psychoactive cannabinoid. And so uh, that, I would say, is the space that we're avidly watching right now. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It is a very timely thing with mm -hmm. it coming to legalization in Canada. Mm -hmm. And is there a trend that you'd like to see go away or die off, whether <laughs> that's in business or health? Well, which to choose? We actually we publish an annual trend guide, and this year we did a new section within mm -hmm. our trend guide that was trends that need to die, because it's funny you ask that. We've been thinking over the few years, things become popular and come in vogue, and it's not always for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I think one just pops to mind is almond milk, hey? Mm -hmm. where it's, it's ubiquitous at almost every cafe now, which I'm happy we have alternatives, but almonds are notoriously unsustainable, and so... There's so many other options we could be promoting and we've just become so infatuated with the almond milk trend, but I think it just needs to be the non-dairy trend. Yeah, I get really nerdy about um, diversification in our diet <laughs> um, and it totally plays off just what Emma was saying, like why does it always need to be almond, like you can switch it up, have cashew, have coconut, you know, even vegetarian, not vegetarian, if you do anything too much it becomes unsustainable I think for your health and for the planet. So. I think anything that you know people become obsessed with needs to needs it depletes to, that resource. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. just thinking bigger than yourself. Like mm -hmm. yes, everybody kind of gets you know crazy about certain trends or whatever. But I think when it becomes too much, it just it's not good for you personally. It's not good for the planet. It's not good for anything. So mm -hmm. it's not really a trend that needs to die per, per se. But I will champion diversification yeah. any chance I can get. And that's a good point. Like, before you jump on a trend, do your research. Mm -hmm. Like, make sure that you know why are you buying almond milk versus, you know, dairy milk, and is there other options? I think and that comes, like, yeah, it comes back down to education, and hopefully, you know, mm -hmm. brands have that out there. Like, and almond milk, I mean, we're talking more, obviously, natural health here, but, you know, what's good for me isn't necessarily what's mm -hmm. good for you guys. And just because I say it's healthy doesn't mean that that's, you know, true. Do the research. Mm -hmm. Do the work. Filter the it by your values or your own yeah, priorities. Yeah, exactly. I think now, though, with, um, I'll call it influencer culture, it's mm. like, well, if she drinks almond milk and it's this particular <laughs> brand, then it must be good because mm -hmm. her body's great. So then you get this blast of people who have been influenced by you know, the, the paid sponsors of a particular brand. So I want to tack on to that actually. We and it's literally just conversations we've been having in these past couple of days, but I think it will resonate with your audience is repositioning the idea of an influencer into a thought leader. Mm -hmm. So an influencer might have a lot of clout, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're being critical about their message. And it was actually through a panel we watched over the past few days here, we were it was a marketing panel related to cannabis, but they were talking about shifting that 
uh, context and particularly for brands when you seek out partnerships is look for the thought leaders don't just look for the influencers so look for the people who are educating who are having a critical lens or an opinion on something that they can offer some sort of value to their audience versus just the key messaging that's pushed out by the brand yeah. it, it comes through as inauthentic if, if they can't really speak to their experience mm-hmm. with it I personally think it falls flat yeah I feel like Kelsey you're so good at championing championing social media with value and purpose and I feel like if we think about our approach to social like that that you're a thought leader instead of just an influencer then mm-hmm. it's content with substance instead of content with fluff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and I mean I think all of our goals should not be to influence people through the things that we share but to inspire them to become thought leaders Mm. on behalf of what you're sharing, right? It's like challenge them, like, okay, well, you can make plant-based milk if we're gonna stay on that topic, Mm -hmm. but I would challenge you, go look up a recipe. What do you already have in your cabinet that you could blend Mm -hmm. into, you know, versus saying, here's the brand of almond milk, Mm -hmm. you have to get this one to have the body that, Mm -hmm. you know, whoever has, so Mm -hmm. anyways, that's a, I'm sure, a a topic we could chat about (laughs) forever. (laughs) Um, coming back to the industry experts, so I mentioned this kind of when I segued into this, but you are both really good at prioritizing multiple trade shows, conferences, workshops, industry events, and so Lindsay, I would love to know why is this important for your business and personally um, to make time and space for things like this? Mm, I think so many reasons. I think coming back to the trend hunting and just seeing what is out there. Um, you know, we all get into our routines, as you were mentioning, the products we choose, the brands we look to, even the, um, the content you go to online, you, you can tend to just get into your routine and see the same thing. So walking around a trade show or going to a conference, it just really pushes you out of that bubble. I think it's also amazing to have face-to-face time with your network. Um, you know, we've actually looked at where a lot of our business comes from with Pineapple Collective, and it is our network. Um, we say our network is our net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been really lucky, the collectively, the 10 years we've each had in the industry to have some amazing people in our corner. And I think just going to the trade shows and building on those relationships and, and building new relationships is really, really valuable to, to your business. And I think outside of even just seeing products, you know, when you go to a trade show, you you see that customer experience. I know we talked a lot um, about it again, but how brands show up with respect to their booth presence, what collateral are they bringing, you know, what is the team saying, what is the energy like at the booth? I think there's so many, um, so many things you can take away from it that's not just product-centric mm-hmm. or brand-centric, it's, it's how we communicate with each other. And obviously through education and content marketing, communication is a huge part of our business and something we always are looking for and evaluating so I think it just keeps you keeps you looking keeps you Mm -hmm. keeps you hungry yeah so important and when you attend trade shows on behalf of your business are you looking to network are you looking for industry knowledge finding new clients getting new research or is it a collective of all of that I think it's a collective of of all of it Um, as Emma mentioned we just went to Lyft this past weekend and um, cannabis is a space that we are exploring, but I'm definitely new to the space as well. And I've been, you know, trying to educate myself. Um, uh, I've been taking Sativa Science Club, which is an online program. Emma herself went to Oaksterdam, so we really have been deep diving, learning that space. So this particular conference for me was more about sitting through a lot of panel discussions and really hearing, um, you know, everything from re- the regulatory environment in Canada to how brands are going to show up. Um, to people's own experience with cannabis. I personally don't smoke it. I don't use it in that format, but I'm very interested in people's experiences as we move in towards legalization and how 
um, the different modalities, the different consumption methods that people use it with in their experience. It just makes it seem more accessible. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have a lot to learn. So that was a really big trade show for learning. Mm -hmm. um, but when we go to something like a Natural Product Expo West or something like CHFA, it's definitely connecting with our network um, because we have a lot of friends and a lot of uh, uh, colleagues in that space. So that's mm -hmm. always kind of more, more the vibe there. So I think it really does depend. And then we've gone to some marketing ones and straight up education again. So yeah, time, place. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. And I know that you've both been to so many, so either of you can speak here, but is there a favorite event you've ever attended and maybe why mm -hmm. it stuck out as one of the best ones? Mm. Uh, for me, it was Expo this year, this past year. Um, Expo seems to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which can feel overwhelming. And it has felt overwhelming in the past, but I think, again, the more friends we have in the space, it was just like a big homecoming party. Um, what's it called? Home, yeah, homecoming. Um, when alumni come back to school, it kind of yeah. felt like that. Like we were all in the mm. same place, which felt yeah. really nice and really familiar. And you know, sometimes we were saying at the beginning we hadn't seen you in like ten months. So it's even people within your own city. It's you're in California. It's so nice to kind of catch up and see people. So that was my favorite one. I was going to say, and that one too, if you're a blogger or an influencer slash thought leader or working um, with brands um, avidly in the natural product space, put that one on your bucket list mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I would tack on one called Escabona, which is hosted in Austin and it's put on by New Hope Media that also puts on Expo West that Lindsay was mentioning. Um, you can watch the live stream for Escabona, so if anyone's listening, that one's, um, I think it's in October coming up this year. It's for disruptors and in senior level leadership roles within the food industry. So you really get to hear how companies like Campbell's and Kraft might be pushing the, the boundaries for more sustainable food production, um, you know, solving issues like food waste. So it's a really great place to see both panels and live brainstorming happen around how we can shape a better food future. So I would yeah, highly recommend anyone tune into that or put it on their bucket list to attend as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's even a good point. Like you mentioned the live stream. Mm -hmm. It's even for the startup business that's like, oh, we can't afford to send our team or myself there. There are options. Like find the live totally. stream, tune in, and, and make it a little party in your living room, right? It's important to stay um, stay current and top of mind by heading to these shows. It's a good way to budget for it in the future to validate whether you should budget for it. And to your question earlier about how we prioritize this, these types of things, we do budget for it. It's not mm -hmm. like we make you know, a split instant decision and go into debt to go to it. We really look ahead, plan ahead, and actually build off of our revenue from the past year into our next year's budget to be able to go to some of these events. So mm -hmm. it's, it takes a little proactive uh, behavior. Awesome. Yeah. So we keep dancing around your business together <laughs> and that the two of you have created something wonderful called Pineapple Collective. And so maybe we can just start by educating the listeners. Uh, what is Pineapple Collective? We are a modern communications agency. So we help natural health, wellness, and cannabis brands tell their story. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And can you describe the moment that this idea was put into your head. Lindsay, maybe you went ahead. Mm, so um, I will actually give mad kudos to Aaron Skelton, who I know we all know. I had lunch with him, and this is when I was blogging, and he was, you know, just questioning what I was doing as an entrepreneur and um, kind of really planted the seed for me. And at that particular point, as a very fun fact, I was only internet friends with them, or social <laughs> friends. We had never actually met each other in um, real life. And I'll drop another industry name, a good friend of all of ours, Michelle Pertidney. Um, knew that Emma was coming out to Toronto for CHFA um, East and 
kind of knew our mutual social love of each other and thought we should meet, so kind of facilitated a lunch. And at that point, I was like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Got this cool new spin on Lindsay Loves Food that's going to happen. And um, time and place and literally what we knew each other like an hour at that mm-hmm. point. It was crazy and um, just really jammed out on our similar career paths and just really felt this kismet connection. And um, Pineapple Collective was born that we were going to take education on Amazon and content on my end and create this modern communication company. <laughs> and I'm sure just to kind of further that conversation, I'm sure the idea really evolved as you oh, yeah. started to dive into the bones of it, totally. right? I think our business has, I wouldn't say dramatically pivoted, but we've reconfigured our scope several times. And, you know, even working with you, Kelsey, you saw a bit of that with us as well as just continually redefining what our core services are. And I think it's totally okay to recommend for people to keep a wider net at the beginning, have a really core focus or purpose for being there, but you can offer maybe a few wider services than you might end up narrowing in on. And I think it's important to do that to see what resonates with your customers. Ultimately, you want to do work that you feel motivated by, but it's got to be of value to your audience. So see what sticks and then continue to refine from there. And so I think that's been part of our Mm -hmm. continual process. And I don't think it'll ever end is you got to constantly be engaged in how to refine your, your strategy and your purpose. Yeah, we were actually, um, Courtney Fonseca, who I know has been on the show, we were with her yesterday checking out her new venture and uh, we were talking about that, like keeping the vision in mind, but you still, you have to listen to your customers, you have to feel out what's working personally for you as a business to facilitate growth. It shouldn't feel, it, it is work, but it shouldn't feel like it's dragging you down all the time. And Shall we share our motto? <laughs> share the motto. Share it. <laughs> we have, internally we have a little Uh, saying, I guess, if you will, called lead with ease. And it's all about, not that there's going to be, you know, a lack of challenges in your journey. There will always be challenges and difficulties, but don't force an outcome that doesn't feel intuitively right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can even think about that as in terms of when we look for different clients or customers, if it doesn't feel like the right fit, don't force it. Mm -hmm. Um, So lead with ease. And it's really paid off and worked super well for us. And if you will, it's kind of like the universe has your back mentality or, Um, The secret, you know, manifest destiny, if you will, it's like going with that conscience of leading with ease and the right opportunities will um, proliferate. Mm -hmm. So you kind of described that you're a modern communication agency and you mentioned who you work for, but what can a brand come to you for you to service? Maybe just like the pillars. <laughs> oh man! I know it's written yeah. on your website. Like you kind of say, we do this, that, and this. But if yeah. I'm a brand, a small business, and you know what I've been hearing so far between content marketing, education, the fact that you're able to do modern communications, like what can I hire Pineapple mm-hmm. Collective to do? We work with luckily a lot of different stages of brands. So some are solopreneurs, some are early stage startups, and some are full robust all the way to bright global food companies. Mm-hmm. So. Luckily, we get to work with a lot of different scopes of work. So most clients, so I'll make a bit of a generalization, most clients we work with, we create strategy first and then we roll into implementation from there. So strategy is a lot of analysis, insights, recommendations and opportunities. Um, And that's a really fun process. We dig into everything the brand has created to date, their story, their message, their audience, their metrics, analytics, you name it. 
um, and create recommendations for how to elevate their education or their content or any element of their communications mix that they might have um, engaged us for. And implementation is where we get to get really juicy with actually writing or designing or building some of the ideas that we've um, identified in the strategy work. So a lot of our clients roll from strategy into ongoing relationships, and so we're really grateful to have strong retainers with a lot of our clients. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, we still do a lot of projects as well when people need just something very specific created. Yeah, it's like they need like execution on some of their in-store collateral or, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, we just worked with one of our clients and they need, they were doing a recipe challenge, so they needed, you know, eight recipe photos, so something like that can be very project-based outside mm -hmm. of the, the retainer client. So kind of what I'm hearing is that every project and every client you work with, is it's a very different approach, right? Like mm -hmm. you're not handing them the booklet saying, let's go through this template exactly mm -hmm. together. Like mm -hmm. is it very much you need to get to know each brand on an individual level and then help them to kind of master? There's some structure, I'd say, because I think for any business owner, ultimately you do want to create some process so that your business is either a bit more turnkey or a bit more scalable. Mm -hmm. So we don't try and recreate the wheel every time, but we want to create innovative opportunities for each brand, but yet there's still a bit of structure or procedure, I think, that's there. Yeah. That's the foundation. So whether it's the tactics for engaging your audience or some of the distribution channels we'll use, there is some similarities, but yeah, I think the where it gets uh, customized is in the innovation side of what we offer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, like to your point, we are working with a lot of different clients, but we both really lean in on our subject matter expertise. Like, you don't need to tell us what vitamin C is, or you know, even now as we explore cannabis, we did the work to learn mm -hmm. about the cannabinoids and and how that interacts in your body, so that we're not onboarding from a complete green state of mm -hmm. like yellow or green state. <laughs> it's not in that complete like nascent stage that you don't understand kind of the background of why a product would work. Um, or why it's out in the market. So we really lean into that. Yes, we still onboard with the brand fully and understand their messaging, their story, their goals, their vision, and, and help to customize that strategy. But that's one of our key key things. And can people kind of learn more about your services on your website? Is that the best spot or to contact you? For sure, yeah. Um, definitely, you can find us at pineapplecollective.ca that outlines our services. Um, for any of the smaller uh, brands out there or solopreneurs, we do have an ebook on our site as well. If you uh, go to the resource section, um, it's called Developing Brand Stories That Resonate, that really, if you know, cra crafting that brand story and kind of finding that unique place in the market um, is something of interest to you, that is a really great resource that's there. Um, also, our trend guide that Emma mentioned previously, you can also find that on our website as well. So it just definitely shows a little bit of not only our services, but um, some of the methodologies behind what we do, as well as our love of trends, if you download the trend guide. Yeah, and I would definitely encourage everyone to check it out, because one thing I've read through that trend guide, and I just love how it's not your average downloadable PDF, you know, mm. like you clearly went above and beyond to create something magnificent, Yay. the design <laughs> aesthetic, right? And so I think for any entrepreneurs thinking I need to create a lead magnet or whatever it is that they're looking to create, like go the extra mile so that when someone reads through it, they truly feel inspired by your content. Like we're talking about content marketing. If you can make just one piece of content really, really good, uh, that's going to do you more of a service than making 20 blog posts that are kind of yeah. yeah, and that was that was a conscious effort too. Like when we first started, we thought we'd be blogging all the time, but you know, client work has thankfully taken over, and we're really lucky to have such a full calendar that right now for us, blogging on a weekly basis doesn't make any sense. And it looks, I think, 
it gives a bad, bad brand impression if you have a blog that hasn't been touched in you know six months or something like that. So we put a lot more effort into our trend guide. It's both a passion project for us. It's a lot of work to get it done, but we put the time, we put the effort in to make this piece amazing, to your point, mm-hmm. versus 20. And then leverage it year-round. So it might not be blogging every week. It might be producing one really premium asset and leveraging it through different yeah. distribution channels throughout a longer period of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, it doesn't need to die off after mm-hmm. the, the no, launch week, no, right? Totally. Like you can reinvent that and yeah. incorporate that into a many other different um, pillars of your business. Mm-hmm. So when looking at the structure of your days, obviously you both do a lot within the business, but how much of your time would be dedicated to things like planting seeds, networking, looking for new clients, versus actually creating content for your clients and the day-to-day operations of a business? Have you figured out a structure? We have. We. <laughs> I like to think we, it, it always a work in progress, prog- Process? Work in progress. progress. <laughs> it's a working process. Too. It's almost lunchtime if that doesn't get edited out. Um, uh, no, but we, I think both of us take our business very seriously and are trying to run a business that not only makes us money, but also makes us not feel like crazy people. So yeah, we do employ a lot of tools to make sure that we are filling, um, I think it's 70% of our billable hours. So 70% of our day, whether that actually is a day-to-day or whether that takes a bigger bigger course over the week is billable time. And then the other 30% we use for internal stuff. And that might be pitching, that might be networking, that might be going to trade shows mm-hmm. um, so that we are continuing to grow professionally, personally in our business, um, as well as you know make sure that we've got money coming in. <laughs> Ultimately, we're our business, so yeah. that's really important yeah. to us. Was the 70-30 something you learned from a mentor, or is that just something that works for you both? Actually, both, actually. <laughs> it's funny, we kind of intuitively planned it that way, and then in asking other agencies of similar sizing, that seems mm-hmm. to be a pretty normal rate, What I or normal split. What I'll say is some agencies will structure themselves where one person will be entirely biz dev, and the other team member or team members might be pure project work. So it could be actually within your team that you do a 70-30 split or for each person that it's that Mm 70-30. And as the nature of our business grows, that might shift as well. That time split, you know, we have goals to grow and um, bring more team members on. So, you know, once team members are there, that might free us up to go uh, do more biz dev opportunities. So it's always a work in progress, but it is something, like I said, we try to monitor to keep us sane and financially happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that definitely gives us a good idea of kind of how your time is split, but with organization, is there any tools or tips that you could suggest for how you stay organized um, with running your own business? Something you couldn't live without? Yeah, I think it's been a huge impact for us since we implemented it as a time tracking tool. So there's tons of free apps out there. There's even more robust um, software if you want to get a bit more advanced. Mm-hmm. If you do bill clients, I mean, I can give a little shout out. We use Function Fox and adore that platform. It's really helped us to get more strategic with our accountability. And I've found it helps me manage time better actually to be clicking on and off a start and stop timer. It might seem so basic, but you can easily get, especially when you're creative, right? You can easily get lost in thought or, you know, go off on a tangent and just continually bring yourself back on track. It helps me manage my time and then it's more efficient even on the um, client account management side of things, so I really like that tool. And it also allows us to have the way we spend our time documented so that you know the next time we go to put together a proposal for a mm-hmm. client, we're actually true about how much time that's gonna take. And obviously, financially, again, that is really 
important to, to make sure that you're not working for free because we do offer a service that's tied to time. Um, but I think to also be really honest with the client, you know, this infographic doesn't take five hours. It takes, you know, 20 hours to get what you're looking for. So mm -hmm. we have that historical data to, to pull from as well. So I think the more you can document as a company and have, and have that to pull from, um, I think the better you can get. Data forward. is empowering. It really <laughs> Surprisingly, is. Surprisingly, yeah. yeah. And then you can start to look for ways to be efficient. You know, if, for example, a blog post did take you 20 hours, you maybe need to start <laughs> questioning why a blog post took you 20 hours. So. Mm -hmm lets you shape your business. And with communication, so you actually both live on opposite coasts of Canada, essentially, but um, with the time difference, with not living in the same city, with not being in the same building every day, do you have any uh, tools that you use to stay in contact but not to bombard each other's inboxes? Google Drive. <laughs> Honestly, it seems so yeah. obvious, but to have real-time documents, I think, is a huge benefit. Like, the amount that we use Google Slides, Google Sheets, Google Docs, yeah. like, yeah. invaluable. <laughs> invaluable. I mean, I will say, we're lucky we've got good phone plans. We do talk a lot on the phone. I think, again, we're really lucky um, that we do work so well on the phone, but we're also really lucky that we've made going to trade shows and conferences a priority, so it's not too far, few and far between that we don't see each other. I mm -hmm. think this year we've actually seen each other every month, maybe. Mm -hmm. I know. <laughs> it's just the way the yeah. client work and uh, shows have fallen, so we do see each other quite frequently, but I think being open, honest with communication, and I think also to really understanding Again, I feel like I'm talking about customers, but really understanding your person and, and what drives them and what feedback they need or, um, you know, whether they're having an off day or not. You really just have to be kind to your, your team. It goes back to culture and the culture we wanted to create. Great tips. Um, transitioning a little bit, is there a business person or a brand that each of you look up to for advice or even just to find these new rituals and tools? Yeah, I mean, lots. I think literally what just jumped to mind and I think it's always the one to go with is like your what you mm -hmm. innately land on I have been buddies with the guys at Four Sigmatic for a long time and um, they're not a client of ours so I think that's why they jumped to mind and is not self-promotional then yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I really appreciate what they're doing for a very innovative space which is the mushroom and elixir category but they're constantly innovating in their digital engagement tactics, in their content. They've created a mushroom academy, so they speak to my love of education. So if you haven't come across Four Sigmatic, I would avidly start following their content marketing and social media journey. Awesome. How about you, Lindsay? Is there a brand or business person that you look up to? Oh, I, I think on the brand side, I'm just currently obsessed with Beekeepers Naturals. Oh, cool. I think they're doing some really cool products and I'm really into propolis <laughs> and the power, just like natural medicine. I think that's amazing. Um, I think they're doing some great brand work and things like that. I think um, person-wise, I will have to say I'm really lucky to have some awesome people in my corner, our corner, um, with our business. So um, Lauren Keegan, who is VP of Sales at Kuro Distribution, she is definitely like a biz coach for me, especially as I've kind of tackled some... Um, finance and more reporting operational sides of our biz she's been invaluable just teaching me her way so mm -hmm. I feel like we've, we've made some really good friends and they've always got our back yeah mm -hmm. by the tracks your tribe very cool yeah I mean I think that's a good point you don't always have to go to like the most famous mentor or the most successful business person like you might have someone in your own network who you've worked with in the past that you can ask to pick yeah. their brain for a moment or see if they have any advice mm -hmm. um, and that's free right so <laughs> um, 
kind of a fun question here, but are there ever days as business owners that you look at each other and think, wouldn't it just be easier to go back to a quote unquote regular job? (laughs) Totally. I mean, we'd be lying if we said we didn't. And I think it's naive to think that you will love every day of being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. It is not easy. And that is why not everyone does it. (laughs) It's not for the faint of heart. No, there's a real thing. And if you've come across it in the entrepreneurial world, you'd be aware or familiar with the idea of the trough of sorrow. And it's like you go through sometimes some really dark times where you question everything and you wonder why you're doing it. And I think what sets an entrepreneur apart is being able to weather that. So whatever you have to do to keep your motivation strong or to bring yourself off the ledge when it happens, because inevitably those moments will. So having the tools and resilience to push through, I think. Um, Yeah, I think that's... uh, integral so that it, yeah it happens <laughs> to acknowledge it it happens it definitely happens I mean I think we've talked a lot about it like Emma and I have for those who are listening and not seeing me point um that um you know self-care is really mm-hmm. important you're I mean I think for anybody who's ambitious their career gets really tied to their identity but when it's your it, it just goes next level when you're an entrepreneur and you're the one who is is leading the ship and I always say it you know with great privilege comes great responsibility so the trough of sorrow is real the the stress is real for sure so you just have to make sure that you have a solid network and obviously I've mentioned a lot of, of people who I really value having in my corner to pull you out of that trough of sorrow I'm so thankful to do this with a business partner I could not do it without Emma to be honest um, I think about that all the time like how how invaluable that is and then just taking space like we do book massages after trade shows you know and, and just little things like that to keep you keep resilient. you healthy keep you yeah. resilient keep the stress levels in check because there will be those tough times literally keep your why front and center in your mind and we just had this long road trip yesterday we were driving mm-hmm. we were talking about this and actually um, just for fun fact we were going to create a metric for our own company now around some of the things that give us the satisfaction beyond just a paycheck so to that point, are we resilient every year? Are mm-hmm. we learning and progressing in our skills? So there's other ways to you know, keep yourself motivated and make sure that you're sticking with entrepreneurialism for the right reasons and that you stay motivated when the going gets tough is like have your why crystallized in your mind. Mm-hmm. Like flexibility for us is a big one. Mm-hmm. Being able to push the boundaries ourselves, you know, be the in control of our own destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, such good advice. So, okay, let's start to wrap this up a little bit. Um, Let's go into some quick fire. So say you're having a trough of sorrow day. (laughs) What would be your favorite way to unwind in the evening? Um, I can jump in. I love running. I find it really therapeutic. I can get lost in my thoughts. What I will say is I found the more intense business gets, the less intense I want to be about my running. So it's interesting. It's much more of a recreational pursuit these days than competitive, but it's exactly what I need after a really stressful or intense day so such a good point I gotta say either if I'm alone a solid bath is usually what I crave but um you know I joke in our house we have Kanye West Wednesdays or whatever (laughs) (laughs) but just letting loose like having a solid dance party in my kitchen really just makes you see the joy in life again like you just gotta Mm -hmm. take off your serious hat sometimes and Mm -hmm. be a little bit silly Mm -hmm. I like that and since I am in the kitchen with Lindsay Loves Food, <laughs> Lindsay, what's your favorite meal to eat out or cook in? Oh, gosh, I love cooking. Um, top of mind, I'll be, I'm going to be totally honest, I've been really, it's on the menu tonight for dinner, is some pulled pork tacos. I'm not vegetarian, obviously, but I 
again, I'll give a shout out to Sanigan's Meat Locker in Toronto. They have some awesome high quality meat. So I do eat a little bit of that, but it's marinated in grapefruit and lime and cumin and oh slow roasted. And then I'm going to make a salsa. So I still really nerd out on um, how much I cook. And actually, to be honest, I think coming back to that stress question, at the end of the day, I will pour myself a glass of wine and cook. And that can be a really mm-hmm. great decompress. And, you know, I eat dinner kind of late. It might not happen until 9 p.m., but just to have that time to chop and cook and chat with my husband and mm-hmm. I think it's really a good way to unwind at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's so important as a business owner. And Emma, what are three things that you do as part of your morning ritual to kind of get you in the zone to attack your business or attack your day? My favorite, because Lindsay knows I'm always like, oh, I watched this TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I started, and it's a good way of time management in the morning, 20 minutes for hair and makeup. <laughs> so I'll watch a TED Talk in the bathroom which I, I'm loving that ritual. Honestly, I learned so much more and I'm so inspired by the time I start my day. Um, I do on Mondays in particular, I actually take Monday mornings off of exercise and try and do some uh, mindful journaling. I have like a mindful uh, workbook that kind of like spurs me into that headspace on Monday mornings. Um, and then I would say my coffee, I'm doing really super food dense coffees, like adding turmeric and adaptogenic mushrooms. So I'm really loving my coffee routine these mornings and mm-hmm. having that be a really nourishing instead of depleting event. Awesome. So we've already mentioned where people can find you if they want to learn more about the agency and Pineapple Collective in general. And is there any other places people can find you, whether that's personally or professionally? Yeah, hop on over to our social. It's at Think Pineapples. And that is where we share a lot more frequently pineapple tips, pineapple trends, um, and all kinds of interesting things that we're seeing happening in the industry, whether it's natural product space or cannabis. So come on and join us. Great. Well, thank you both for sharing your story. It's very inspiring. I know everyone uh, will take a lot from this interview. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks, thanks Cass. for having us. That's a wrap. Until next week, I hope you make tiny leaps in order to achieve your most visionary life. I'd love for you to join my insiders community. Just search Visionary Life on Facebook. We talk about our favorite books, our podcasts of the week, tools, tips, and tricks for making our lives easier as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs. And really, it's just a place to have open and honest conversation. I love taking these podcast discussions offline. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. I send a beautiful essential oil blend, the visionary blend, and a love note from me to anyone and everyone who leaves a rating and review. Just make sure you take a screenshot and send it to me with your shipping address. And if you think I'm joking, why not try it out?